Hi, and welcome to Forefront 360, where we take you all around the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. I'm your host today, Rich Chrisman. I have with me, per usual, Nate Mancini. Hello. Zach Ozinski. Hi. In person, Zach here in the studio, Fairport, New York. It's good to be back. Welcome. Yes. Good to have you back. Great. And uh, we have a guest today, Dan Chrisman. Hey there. So, um, you guys related? We are. We are brothers in Christ and uh, of blood. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I don't know if he wants to admit that all the time, but it's yeah, good. it's true. Um, yeah, we're we're proud to introduce uh, Dan at this time. He's with us uh, here at Forefront Festival over the summer as uh, our first Forefront Festival summer intern. Excellent. It's pretty exciting. So, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, just real quick. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, so. I am a student studying at Grove City College. Uh, I have, I've heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> I have a uh, double major in business marketing and Christian ministries, which is one of their newer majors. Cool. Nice. And it's an interesting mix. A lot of people ask me how my ministries and marketing major work together. And the way I answer it a lot is that ministry and evangelism, in a sense, is marketing Christian faith. Mm. And the methods of doing both actually have a lot of overlap. And you see that in studying both separately and then kind of bringing them together. It uh, can't be too bad, you know, of a, of a thing to market, considering that the gospel historically has, has sort of marketed itself, you know, being what it is. So definitely having a Holy Spirit intervention is helpful with the message. Yeah, for sure. That's a good thing. Well, um, today we, we're just we're happy to have Zach here. We're happy to have Dan here, mm-hmm. and uh, we love to talk about creativity here and the uh, work that artists are doing. We have spent some great time in the past year or so interviewing uh, artists about what they're doing, and today we're just going to have a good time having a conversation about things that we've been working on. Mm-hmm. Zach, would you want to start us off? Yeah. So I just finished my second year of uh, working on my doctorate in. Uh, classical flute performance flute doctor and i am pretty exhausted it was a a fruitful year but a full year especially being like a a covid year right um so i could talk about what i did flute wise but i'd really rather just talk about what i've been doing maybe i could could call it like recreationally Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but I've been thinking a lot about just what, like when, when I was a, a kid, when I was a child, like what, what I really enjoyed doing most. And I remembered how much I loved drawing. I seemed to always, I, I remember my mom would buy me these rolls of teletype paper mm-hmm. and she would roll them across the dining room floor for me. And she would trace out these hills and I would draw telephone poles on them and mm-hmm. I would draw roller coasters on them. Um, and I think sometime around adolescence, I just stopped drawing. I mean, that was kind of when I started doing music, but I think there was something in me that said, oh, I'm not good at that, so I'm just not mm. going to do it, or I'm, I'm not proficient enough, or this is this is silly, or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I've been, in, in grad school, I've been butting up a lot with just perfectionism and how how much... I tend to let that fuel my my work and uh, recognizing that, that and wrestling with that in my work, that that being a really good and healthy process, but also that's given me space to reflect on just 
what I find restful in the process of an exhausting year of, of school. And so, um, I went back to, to drawing about, uh, around January. I think I bought some, like a good set of colored pencils and a, and a pad of, of watercolor paper and, uh, just got back to, I think, I think I tend most towards, towards landscapes. That's kind of tends to be what my subconscious just kind of, kind of desires. If I feel like I'm stuck somewhere, I can, I can, I can illustrate certain places that I've either lived in or just kind of abstractly desire. Um, and I, I finished my coursework for, for school th- um, this year. And so to celebrate, I got some watercolors uh, about a month ago and I've been having a lot of fun with those. And it's just been really, just, just really wonderful to have space where I can just be be an amateur, but also kind of be a kid again and intentionally try to cultivate that. Um, in, in some ways it feels, it feels like, like a holy practice to kind of cultivate like what our like earliest affections were mm-hmm. into adulthood. Um, so yeah, that, that's what I've been, that's what I've been making recently. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I also, would mention uh we you know Zach's been visiting and we went on a hike recently and you brought along your binoculars mm. and we did a little bit of bird watching mm-hmm. and I thought that that was cool too as something that you know as a kid you love to like look at birds and I remember as a kid I, I had binoculars and I would like you know try to find animals and look at them the interesting thing about binoculars is they don't like create something there's something you use in the moment and you're just kind of beholding beauty um so binoculars don't like create something for instagram they don't create something marketable but they allow you to behold the beauty of god's creation and i feel like that that too is almost like this childlike pursuit of just appreciating Mm -hmm. nature um i don't know if you want to talk about that at all too but is that a new thing that you've picked up as well yeah, yeah, that that's something that I picked up in grad school too. Something I know as as a kid I I think my dad planted like these these seeds in me if he was always taking us out to to see meteor showers and and stuff and uh so I had that affection in me when I moved to to Illinois where I'm doing grad school. And I think COVID has been the first time where I've actually given intentional time and space to actually looking up at the sky and like learning the names of stars and going into a park and seeing a bird and being able to call it by its name. And there's, there's something really like grounding about that, about being able to, to look at your surroundings and being able to, to, to call things by name. There's like a, there's an intimacy there and like a, a communion with creation there. That's just really, yeah, it's just I mean, really grounding. The, the naming of things is an ancient, uh, you know, Judeo Christian. There's a lot of power in the naming of things. Yeah. Uh, I mean, from Adam naming the, all the creatures and, and being given dominion over the, over them to like the value placed in the old Testament on, uh, you know, like the naming of locations and, and people and whatnot. There's, you know, yeah, it's Hebrew culture, a lot of power yeah. in a name. Yeah. 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 
even a lot of primitive cultures uh, that I've studied or worked with, maybe in Central or South America, have this idea of their true name mm. and not speaking their true name because of the power that can be used with that name. Mm. So when uh, someone like a missionary or, or a new tribe or something comes in contact with this culture, they often give fake names because they don't want to be cursed because they understand uh-huh. the amount of power behind their real name and their quote-unquote God-given name. Wow. Interesting. Wow. Mm. Yeah. It seems like these are some some really restful pursuits that connect you with uh, God's creation. Mm-hmm. The, the painting of landscapes, the, the watching of stars and of birds, things that we just, we forget to do, even though it's right outside our door. Yeah, the freshness and and excitement of being able to capture things in photography, and also in you know, accelerated by the in, the internet and things like Instagram and uh, and and even faster mediums like Snapchat and things like that have are starting to wear off for me. And I don't know if that's because I'm just getting older. You know, like I'm not old, but I'm you know. As as we, one gets older, you know, we we view things differently. But uh, I'm starting to see the value in in not taking pictures of certain experiences. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I recently went hiking in Watkins Glen and didn't take my phone with me on the hike. Yeah. And like two years ago, I would never have made it out of there without photos. Yeah. You know, and almost of the feeling of like, why even go if I'm not going to take the pictures? You know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. I think that, uh, I mean, I still really enjoy recording things photographically. Like I still, I, I use my Instagram kind of like a journal, like a personal visual journal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I'm starting to see the value in just experiencing something. It's funny you mentioned the binoculars and the, uh, you know, birds and, and whatnot, because I, uh, uh, just bought a house for the first time in uh, a neighborhood that uh, is labeled the bird song neighborhood. And um, there is a trail that goes like around the outskirts of the neighborhood or development that I just bought in that goes into a larger park and it's called the bird song trail. Uh, and, and that trail even branches off further. I just remembered into a place called the bird sanctuary trail. Uh, so, you know, and interesting as you get deeper into the wood, and uh, what I found so interesting is I've never been one to pay attention to birds, really. Um, what, going on hikes when I was a kid, you know, like my dad or whoever would point out animals or, or things. And I was always of the mentality, like, I'd rather just, like, run through the woods and, like, I don't really, like, oh, there's a deer. Like, so what? I've seen a deer. Like, who cares? That's kind of was my my uh, feeling. So I've never really paid attention to those sort of things. But the uh, amount of birds that I've seen walking in those trails without looking for them that I have not seen elsewhere or maybe once in a blue moon. Like I regularly see, you know, extremely bright, like blue jays, cardinals, orioles, like, and those are just the ones I can name, you know, like I don't even know what the other birds are um, in my backyard. And then even more uh, chances of seeing them on these trails. Yeah. And uh, the, something about the, lightiness 
no pun intended, of birds is is fascinating. Like you have like a couple seconds to to appreciate a bird usually, mm-hmm. and I I just think that's really cool. So maybe I need to pick up a pair of binoculars. Yeah, there's a man. His name's Kevin Finch, and he runs a, a ministry called Big Table. And I was listening to an interview he did on a on a podcast, and I think he was talking about his grandparents. But they, he tells a story about how, let's say it was his grandparents and they were driving around with somebody else in their car in, in the Pacific Northwest and they were pointing out birds that they saw in the area and trees and, and other things that they could see from their car. And the person they were driving with said, oh, wow, I didn't notice any of those those mm. things. And they said, well, that's because you don't know their names. They're just birds and trees to you. Once you know their names then you start to notice them mm. and you start to, to see them. And, you know, I think, I think there's a lot to be, to be said there just with yeah, like the, the dignity and the, the value, like the inherent value in something that has a given name to it. And mm. yeah, th- that idea of God calling all of the different parts of his creation by their own names and giving them right. their own intrinsic value and care. Mm-hmm. I just think about that a lot. One thing that I've been been creating recently is um, related to my profession, but actually distinct from it as well. Uh, my day job is as a video producer, so I spend uh, my time filming and editing, and of course doing all the the pre production and marketing around that as well. And uh, I love it. I really, really enjoyed doing that for my work. And I found that uh, as I started doing more and more of that, that I stopped doing so much of it recreationally uh, because I used to go out and and whenever we'd go on vacations, I'd make like a video of the vacation and, and I would just enjoy kind of creating movies as a hobby. And the more I did it for my career, the less I kind of wanted to do it in my in my home life. But um, recently I've, I've tried to think about it a little differently and I've, I've tried to think about how, you know, we're each kind of given these, these unique giftings and skill sets and that we need to be on the lookout for how we can use them um, even when we don't get paid for them or paid much for them or we're not doing it in the context that we normally do it, but kind of being on the lookout for how we can use those skills I think of so many times in my life when I've been blessed by someone who is a you know professional at something just allowing me to to be blessed by their skill set. Um and I want to be that kind of person who does that and so I've tried to be on the lookout for ways that I can like I can use video um and and just do it as kind of uh friendship, relationship, kingdom work, things like that. Um, hopefully not in ways that overwhelm my schedule, um, but just from time to time trying to find those projects that fit. And one of them recently, I've been working with a friend on uh, a series that is it's going to be a video series about overcoming depression. And um, he recently wrote a book and did a series of workbooks on that. And so we're kind of adapting it into a video series. And so uh, we've been doing, we're doing three episodes in total. Um, so far we've shot two of them and I just recently shot 
shot one and I, I brought along uh, Zach and, and Cody from forefront to help out. Uh, and it's just been a, a really, a really great experience, I think, to, um, to kind of free the, the video production muscles that I'm typically doing for work, uh, and, and put them in this different context and just think about it as service and friendship and fun. Um, in, in some ways it's like play and it kind of frees you to, to do things a little differently, um, to be a little more flexible, to maybe not follow all the same rules. So that's, that's something I've been, been creating recently and it's, it's in process. It's not done yet. Um, but I've, I've really, really enjoyed it. You might say it's been a sweet life with Zach and Cody. (laughs) You could say that you could, but should you? (laughs) <laughs> as long as it's not on deck, I think it's okay. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, Nate, because um, <laughs> what I have recently been working on is a video production. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Listeners, if you are, you know, readers of the Forefront blog, you, you already know this, but um, I'm one of the two co-directors of the uh, Schrader Theater Company at uh, Webster Schrader High School, where I teach, and uh, we recently did, uh, you know, finished a second second year of trying to make high school theater happen mm-hmm. uh, during a global pandemic. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot you, you can. Uh, I won't bore you. You can read the article for all the details about that. But uh, we just did a production of this play by Terry Gabbard called Our Place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a pretty recently written play. But um, we decided to do it. We it takes place on a dock, which is you know the the titular our place is a dock, and uh, at a at a lake. And luckily, we live in Western New York, so there are many lakes with many docks to to choose from. And we uh, we chose one on Lake Ontario, and decided to film the play on location at the dock rather than try to do something massed and distanced on a on a stage, and. Um, it was quite an experience in a lot of ways. I learned a lot from it, and uh, I believe the student actors did as well. The student producers as well. We had uh, you know students running cameras and assisting with the editing and and um, audio, uh, you know all that stuff on site, which was very cool. Um, it, and it was quite a production. I mean, doing a anyone who's been involved in live theater knows that there's so much involved that the viewer doesn't necessarily think of think of. Um, and I was really taken aback, I guess, by how much of that goes into a, a video production. I mean, I knew there was that on like a, obviously like a Hollywood scale, you know, film shoot, but, but for what we were trying to do, you know, there was really a lot that went into it. And uh, so thankful to our production team staff member who, you know, had that AV knowledge and was, you know, headed that project just, me and and the other artistic director, you know, would not have been able to do this project on our own. And so I, I learned a lot about collaboration um, and I learned a lot about putting together a film. I learned a lot about trying to, you know, part of a high school theater program besides putting on a good show is, you know, trying to help train actors in a lot of cases who have no prior training, you know, in many cases. And, um, not only do we try to do that, but this time we we were trying to train ourselves in how to train actors to act in front of a camera. Mm-hmm. 
You know, so it, different, which is very different. I mean, the first half of our rehearsals, um, I mean, after we were off, off book, so I guess really the middle third, let's say, of our rehearsals were spent just getting our student actors to stop gesturing to an audience that was not there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that, uh, and there was no, you know, always, uh, kind of, you know, tilting their, their bodies to face outward when delivering lines as you would on stage. And we're like, no, 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 yeah. there is no audience. There's no one at the end of the dock. You know, it's, it's the camera and, and you, you know, and that's an important clarification, right? That you were, you weren't just filming a play to be able to show it as a video. Yes, but you and, were trying to create a film, right? And, and we did try. We we did have to sit down and make that decision because mm-hmm. initially we were saying, okay, do we just want to do this play? Yeah, and and film it. You know, like we'll set up one camera with a wide shot, and then they'll just do the play on the dock. Yeah, and then we said no, like that's that's boring. Like yeah. you know, who wants to watch that? And um, we so we did try to make a film. We set up three and four cameras at certain times. We got different angles. Um. We That's shot great. at different times of day, and uh, we went out to the dock all different days of the week, um, vastly different weather. I mean, one day we went out in the morning, it was windy, and the, the regular non-wind chill temperature was 38 degrees, mm. and, it was, and it was windy on Lake Ontario. Like, you know, kids, like, you know, stuff was being blown over, like the cameras had to be, like, secured, you know. And then another day on our last day of filming, it was, like, in the upper seventies and sunny and like the water was completely calm, you know, so like everything in between. Yeah. And of course our filming schedule, we should have, we should have fixed because our, uh, the one, the one skit, our, our place is made of multiple different skits that take place at different times that come together, like different vignettes. And the one skit that is like markedly supposed to take place in the summer we filmed on a day that it was very cold and windy. And then the one skit that it like really could be in the winter, it really doesn't matter. That was on like the beautiful day, of course. So never uh, count know, on spring in Rochester yeah, to exactly. look like summer. <laughs> yeah. So you, we, you learned some, but, um, that was a wonderful experience and I have been, uh, uh, I'm super thankful to everyone who came out and supported in seeing the show. We did a, you know, really the most memorable part of this whole thing to me was we decided to, we wanted to give the students something as similar as we could to the the feeling of a live show. And, and this was not live. Uh, and, you know, there's nothing like, um, well, actually, you know, yeah, there's nothing like when you, you pull off a live performance that is, you know, you're, ner- you're sweating and you're nervous and all this stuff and you pull off a live show and you walk out at the end of the show for bows and mm-hmm. a full theater is standing and applauding. The, the, you know, it's just something. And, I, yeah. and I wanted, we wanted to give the students that experience, especially the seniors. Are like, you know, I want them to go out with a bang. So we decided to do a premiere. So we... We did an in-person premiere, and luckily, uh, COVID restrictions lightened slightly from the time when we started doing this. But um, so we we showed the film in our school's auditorium, which actually functions. I mean, it really feels like a movie theater. They have a big projector screen, and the way the room—I mean, it's a theater, so it you know yeah. the way with wings and everything—and it uh, and it really felt pretty cool. And and if That's I great. yeah, as a as an adult who has you know done a lot of things like this it felt really cool to me so i i hope that our high school actors i'm assuming they felt 
as much, if not more excited than I did. So um, I was really proud of that. But um, now I, it really got me thinking because we, we've now kind of crested this hill of creating a film with, with the Schrader Theater Company. And my, my co-director and myself have only been in charge of, of the, we, we sort of rebranded what was once just the you know, Webster Drama Club into this new thing, this th- theater company. And uh, about two years ago, and uh, the now we're really thinking like, is this a one-time thing, or is this, or or do we want to kind of have the creation of of, of films or short films or something be like part of what the Schrader Theater Company does? And uh, I'm really intrigued by that. But of course, you know, like like I've you know communicated already, film not our wheelhouse, not a, not something we've done you know in the past. So. Schrader Media, yeah, right. So, um, Trader Studios, Trader but, Studios. But um, I've been really brainstorming hard since that the end of this that production, what we can do next year, uh, both a fall and a spring production. The gears are really turning. I'm very excited next year. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a lot of time over the summer in in really hitting 2021, 2022 fall theater season hard. So, looking forward to that. That's awesome. So Dan, welcome to Forefront 360. Thank you. Is there anything you've been working on recently? So I have to say, personally, I'm much more of a consumer of art than a creator. Uh, but recently, uh, coming off of my most recent semester of college, I had to do a lot of writing towards the end, especially coming out of COVID time. Mm-hmm. Some of my tests were less traditional, so there was a lot more writing in general than just uh, recalling information. Which can be a double-edged sword, because sometimes it's a lot easier, and sometimes you really have to know what you're writing about. Right. Sure. Uh, One of my uh, ministry-based classes, the professor has his students write this project called 15 Best Insights at the end of the semester. Oh, wow. And basically, uh, you go through your notes and the books and, you know, everything we've done, and you just compile the 15 best insights that you have from the semester. So I was looking over my list and one that I thought was really interesting that I poured a lot of time into was this idea that uh, what a church sings creates what it believes. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This idea promotes that uh, music as such like a memorable common ground and such an easily digestible medium for most sure. people is one of the easiest and quickest ways to teach theology to a congregation yeah and sometimes sometimes subliminally right right and so that's the issue so a lot of what i was uh studying and reading about is that a lot of heresies that churches believe or even preach actually start in the songs that they sing Mm. Mm -hmm. and many you know churches or worship leaders or things won't pay too much attention to the songs they're picking because they're very popular, they like the sound, and then the catchiness and the, you know, every aspect of music really sure. makes its way through the church. Yeah, Ryan Flanagan from uh, Liturgical Folk, he he talks about worship music as something that's like spiritual formation as far as how it shapes us as we interact with it and and consume it and share it and how it kind of like propagates through our through the body of christ certainly yeah right music can be such an emotional medium too Mm -hmm. that uh 
it really takes a lot of intention to make sure that what you're singing and what you're connecting to matches with the goals of the church and the themes and truth of the gospel. Yeah, I've definitely had that experience where I've been, you know, in a church where like the preaching is very solid and the, but like sometimes I felt like a dissonance in like, you know, you hear like this great sermon and then they like, you know, then the band comes up, you know, for the closing, you know, worship songs. And then like the song that comes up next, I'm like, huh, that really doesn't like fit, you know? And, uh, sometimes theologically, but sometimes even just like tonally, you know, and I, and I, and I really, I really admire the church that, you know, Nate and I go to Grace Road Church where, you know, you, I can tell how much effort Grace Road puts into the selection of their worship songs. I really appreciate that. Yeah. One of the major parts of this class was actually building and executing a church service based on one of the major events of the church calendar. Mm-hmm. And after executing the church service, we had to write an extensive paper on why we chose to do each specific thing we did. And it was very specific. Mm. And that was enormously helpful for me because I had to write a page justifying why I chose each song, why we chose each verse. That's a great exercise. It really helps you think about how much effort should go into a church service. It's not just slapping together a lesson every week and, you know, hoping that somebody learns something. Yeah. Intentionality. Yeah. And another piece is that I think as we look at a lot of the hymn books that, that we have and, and you open up these hymn books and most of the hymns were written by essentially pastors, people with theological training who were preaching and teaching the word and then wrote songs about it. <laughs> and mm. so the, the hymns were kind of naturally, you know, aligned with that theology. Mm. If their theology was wrong, the hymn might be wrong as well, but they had that, that training and that focus. Whereas now we have this kind of cultural focus on accessibility mm anybody can write worship music oh, right yeah. and so like a lot of the people who are who are writing the songs that are, are used in churches you know have no theological training um i think it's great it's great that they that they can write those songs but th- there is something lost right when the, the majority of our our worship music is written by people who weren't trained in the theology behind it and i've yeah. said this before I think on this podcast, but, um, I'll, I'll be the first to say that, you know, to my own shame, I receive much more of my, I don't know if we want to call it spiritual formation, but I, I mean, my, I am informed, um, spiritual information, information. <laughs> yeah, I, I am, uh, <laughs> I am informed more by, quote unquote, Christian music than I am by scripture. Uh, Just, you know, in the mere fact that I listen to Christian music for many more minutes out of the day or week than I am in scripture. Um, I mean, I listen to, often I listen to like albums by my favorite artists that happen to be Christian for, you know, hours and hours a day. And, And I'm certainly not in scripture hours and hours a day. Um, and so even I think those of us that are the most well-intended and even have like a daily scripture reading and, and things like that, um, I, f- 
I would challenge most contemporary Christians that they probably spend more time soaking up the theology we get from songs than we do from scripture. So the songs we choose to listen to, uh, especially when we're like in that mood for Christian song, I think it really matters. Yeah, the songs we worship to. Especially now with the existence of things like Spotify and Apple Music and Pandora, where you go for a ride and you're listening to worship music and you're not necessarily worshiping. You're not really, you know, giving glory to God in that you're just trying to get to the grocery store, Mm -hmm. but you're taking in this mix of theology and doxology. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's never been more accessible. Yeah. I've always been so, uh, shout out Michael card. I've always been so, uh, happy because my parents, for some reason, I don't remember why, because, but, uh, my parents gave me these Michael Card. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but He's uh, so good. Yeah, this, these Michael Card CDs, like physical CDs, mm-hmm. when I was in like middle school to listen to when I was like going to bed, like I couldn't fall asleep or something. And they were like, "These are calm CDs and whatever." They gave them to me. I didn't even know if my parents listened to them that much. Like they were yeah. just like, "You should listen to these, whatever." And I played these Michael Card albums, which have you know, f- fast forward a long time, have become really important, like musical you know, pieces to me, mm-hmm. but I listened to them when I was falling asleep when I was in like seventh grade. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of times, like, like I didn't even understand like all of what he was saying and all this stuff. And then later in life, when I really started like reading scripture for myself, like instead of out of obligation or whatever, I came across passage after passage in this, in scripture where I knew the words by heart because Michael Card sings scripture almost word for word like in a lot of his albums and like certain Psalms, like uh, there's an album called the way of wisdom that came out in like the eighties yeah. and it, and he goes through Ecclesiastes. He goes through a number of Psalms. He goes through the book of Job, like in these, you know, pretty catchy, like acoustic songs. And if you had said to me, you know, whatever time this was when I had this realization, if you had said like, Hey, sing me a Michael Card song. I'm like, I don't know. But then I was like reading Job and I was like, I know these words. And I like knew the the next line coming up. And it occurred to me that like the power of, you know, obviously humans have known this for millennia, but like the power of song or, or poetry, like rhyme and meter to help us memorize things is so real and the fact that, like, I now know, and now that I've consciously gone back and listened to the Michael Card CDs, you know, purposefully, I now have, like, portions of scripture memorized because of this guy's music. You know, and I just think that that's always been a really strong example to me of, like, how I would not have chunks of the Psalms or the Book of Job memorized if it wasn't for that. Yeah. And I just think that's really cool. Absolutely. Well, this has been great. Thank you all so much for uh, listening to this bit of a different episode, not something we do often, a little bit more casual, a little bit more about what those of us on the Forefront team are doing day to day. But I hope it's an encouragement because, uh, you know, I I think a lot of people could could look at something like Forefront and say, I'm not an artist um, and therefore it's not for me. But I think um, forefront isn't just for people who consider themselves to be artists. Uh, it's for people who are, I think, fostering their creativity and trying to do so in a way that honors God. And so, uh, even if you're somebody who is just 
writing papers as a student um, or who is a teacher who is um, using your creative skill sets in the classroom um, or somebody who is doing a little bit of um, sketching or painting that you did as a kid and you're just picking it up again. Uh, there are all these things that, that we do that are creative and that are generative um, and that, that aren't intended to maybe um, be our profession, but they're important nonetheless. Um, so we're excited for, for all of you to, to be listening to this and be part of this community um, and to share even, even those things, the things that you might not think are art, um, but the, are those important pieces of creativity that you're going about in your daily life. Want to invite you all, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Forefront 360 in your favorite podcast app so you can keep in touch and you can enjoy future episodes as they come out. If you have any comments or questions for us about this episode or about other things Forefront is doing, you can email us, info at ForefrontFestival.com, and you can let us know what that question or comment is, or you can provide a recommendation. If you have uh, a topic you'd like us to cover on a future podcast, or if you'd like to come on the podcast and talk about something, let us know. Info at ForefrontFestival.com. Love to continue that conversation. So until next time, keep pursuing authentic faith and excellent art.